It is Tuesday, August 24th, and this is Hit by Podcast episode number four. Lots to get to per usual. The White Sox have started slipping up a little bit. Tough road trip for them. We'll talk about that. The Cubs, they're still losing. Lots to talk about with the Chicago Cubs. A little bit off the field as well. Miguel Cabrera joined the 500 home run club this weekend. We'll talk about his greatness Throughout his career, the Yankees are the hottest team in baseball. They've won 10 straight entering tonight, barring their result with the Atlanta Braves game coming down to the wire. But we'll get to that later. And they're just four games back of the Rays entering tonight. The NL West is still crazy. Dodgers starting to gain a little bit of ground on the Giants. The Reds are now in possession of a wild card spot, which is hard to believe. And then we'll talk more losing streaks as the Orioles have lost 18 straight games in addition to a lot of other stuff. we got a good episode of Just Talking Baseball ahead of us. Hope you'll enjoy it. This is episode four of the Hip Hop Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. Larry, we got a big week in our own lives. Uh, baseball doesn't stop, though, although it may, maybe took a little pause for you. I know you're done with the North Northwoods League now. What have you been up to this past week, Larry? Uh, moving on back to school, so that entailed a lot of packing and unpacking, which is always a blast. But I've tried to carve out a little time for baseball, not watching a lot of the Cubs. But today I discovered that Major League Baseball is offering free MLB TV subscriptions to college students. So that might be the most exciting thing going on in my life right now. Yeah, you're going to have to send that this way. I know f- four guys here who will gladly use that. I watch the free game on MLB Network every day, so it'd be nice to get some variety. Yeah, I've got the Dodgers and Padres on my TV right now. You know, it's it's nice to be able to uh, take in some good baseball uh, because the Cubs sure aren't very good. And the White Sox are, have not exactly been great lately either. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Not exactly been great. Um, not been bad, right? But not great. Yeah, you know, they every game there's some good things that you see, and there's some some promising things. But at the end of the day, if we're not beating the teams that we want to play, you can't say you're playing great baseball. I mean, you, you look at the Yankees. We're gonna, we'll talk about them. Ten straight wins against good teams for the most part. Two of those from the Sox. You know, playing the Braves now, a good hot team as well. You, this is the time of the year when you know teams go on these crazy runs, make up crazy amount of ground. Luckily for the Sox, that's not really an issue. There's no uh, Cleveland making ground where they need to keep up pace or anything like that. They're not coming from behind. So I guess that's the good part about being in a weak division and having such a lead at this point. But that doesn't mean we don't want to see us win these games. You know, at the end of the day, we can play as good of a game. Even today, it seemed like from the first inning, Sox are playing hot and then it's still a game. Like the bullpen's not hot. A three run lead's not really safe. I mean, they had the bases loaded in the eighth, tying run in the ninth. It's just kind of like a bit of a metaphor of what the Sox are playing like as well. Like even when they're good, they're not great. You just kind of want to see them slam the door on some of these games and it hasn't been happening. You make a good point about the bullpen. I think Craig Kimbrell is in a little bit of a little bit of a slump. The White Sox game I went to when they beat the A's and held on, he came on for the eighth. And he didn't look very sharp. He put two batters on. He walked the guy and then hit a guy with a pitch. And then the other night, I know he got the loss in Tampa Bay. 
So he hasn't looked very sharp, and you got to wonder if that maybe has something to do with the fact that he hasn't been closing games. He's not used to that setup role rather than that ninth inning role. Yeah, I thought we'd maybe see more of um, Hendricks in the ninth inning one game, rest his arm the next day, Kimbrell gets the ninth the next day. We have not seen that really at all. It's like, you know, Hendricks might play some games that Kimbrell doesn't, but Kimbrell's never been tossed out there in the ninth inning. He's never, you know, that's what he's done his whole career. He's made a Hall of Fame career out of going out in the ninth inning and shutting him down there with nothing to worry about after the fact. So, I mean, yeah, he's still going out there to pitch his best inning, but you have to wonder if if something about that uh, that eighth inning as opposed to being the closer is maybe messing with him. He's, I know his ERA is in the fives since he's joined the Sox. Um, we gave up a lot for him, so that's definitely not what we want to see. Hopefully it, uh, hopefully it ends in the regular season, or hopefully it ends right now. You know, We don't want to see that anymore. Uh, and it's because it's not like Hendricks has been – uh, picking up his slack or anything it's like we go to one shaky inning and then we go to another shaky inning so we need to at least see one of those guys cleaned up um Kopech had a bad outing today definitely not the the right direction that the bullpen's trending uh headed towards the playoffs yeah it's definitely discouraging and you talk about the division the al central probably the worst division in baseball i wouldn't say probably i would say it is the worst division in baseball white Sox have stumbled and they're still up 10 games on Cleveland. I think that's a good thing, but at the same time, I also think that's a bad thing because the White Sox can kind of be on cruise control until the playoffs. You know that they're going to make the playoffs. I I don't want to jinx them or anything. I know that Bob Nightingale tweeted something yeah. like, congratulations to the Chicago White Sox for winning the AL Central a few weeks ago, but I think they're going to hang on despite anybody trying to jinx them. But I think having a good division race and coming out on top of that division race gives you a boost going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The White Sox have this division in hand, and so they're kind of cruising along right now. Yeah, it's not – we really don't have anything to play for. It's not like you look at the team and they're playing for that one seed. I mean, we're in Tampa Bay right now, or we just finished up with Tampa Bay. Tim Anderson didn't play, and they're really saying, yeah, he's available. He could pinch hit. He's just having a little tightness. It may be one of those things where if, you know, you're really trying to win these games, if it was the last weekend of the season, maybe he'd be out there trying to help the team win. But, you know, he's missed four straight. Um, Vaughn's not in the lineup every day. It's hard as a Sox fan that hasn't seen them succeed in the playoffs. It's hard for me to put my trust into them not really giving their 100% now, even though they are up, they're going to win the division. Uh, it's hard to to trust that what we see right now isn't going to be how the team is come playoff time. Like a lot of people on Twitter like to say the Sox haven't been full health. No team is ever really full health at any given point. Like everyone's going to be missing some guy for a few amount of days, but sometimes I do feel like we haven't really seen one good lineup yet. Um, Grandall's coming back soon. Maybe that will help with it. Maybe it'll help it feel like more of a playoff roster. But right now I just, I just don't see this team um, the way they're playing, they're not like that playoff killer team where no one's really scared of. Yeah, exactly. If they entered the playoffs today, I don't think anybody's going to be scared of the Chicago White Sox. Granted, if they start picking it up, I think I think they're capable of being mm-hmm. that team that people don't want to play. People don't want to come to the south side of Chicago and come into that environment and play that bullpen. But like we've said, the bullpen has been bad. And the lineup to me is shaky, especially when Anderson's not in it. He's that spark guy at the top of the lineup. And if he's not there, 
it seems like the offense really struggles to get going, which is a problem. It shouldn't rest on the shoulders of one guy. It's good that Anderson can be that guy, bring that spark, bring that energy and that on the field and off the field leadership. But you got to have other guys step up. Yeah, Luis Robert had a good game today. Uh, a few hits, had a double and a couple runs to really started us off too. That's, I feel like Tim Anderson, you got a guy who can take the first pitch out of the game any single time and give your pitcher a lead to work with. Um, Luis Roberts, you know, in a sense, sort of that same guy, not exactly the same player, but swinging early, swinging often, um, home run potential. And it worked out today, but you're absolutely right. I mean, Tim Anderson's the heart of the, and the soul of the White Sox. You can't just rely on his energy and his leadership to get you through every single game because there's going to be days like today or this past weekend where his legs aren't feeling the best and he needs some time off. And it shouldn't feel like if he needs a few days of rest that the team's basically given up a series or two. You know, the good teams, I mean, the Yankees aren't playing half of their starters right now. And for the longest time all year, you know, this the Sox have been that team to have a guy step up. Danny Mendick has not been stepping up for TA though. It's been pretty much outside of that position. You know, those guys have filled in well, but yeah, it's just different when it's Tim. That's the heart of the team. And, and uh, we need him to be performing and performing well at that. hundred percent. White Sox still under 500 against teams that are over 500, 21 and 25. And you compare that to a team like the Yankees or even the Rays. Um, I'm looking at the, above 500 record Yankees 39 and 34 against teams above 500 and the Rays 37 and 33 against teams above 500. And then how about Houston teams above 500, 39 and 26. Yeah. The white Sox entering the playoffs. I don't like that stat at all. Yeah. Like, well, I just feel like it's going to be one of these times where everyone's saying it's okay. Just trust it. You know, we don't want these guys to get hurt. We want everyone to be well-rested. We go and do a three-game series. Anything can happen, you know. You just don't play well one game, and then next thing you know, you got to win two in a row just to stay alive. And all of a sudden, this team that we've been waiting, you know, just been been being told, just wait, you know, once they're full strength or come playoff time, like this team, it'll be different. But you got to win at some point, you know. And if if none of these games were we felt like, oh, we really need to win this game, I guess, like you mentioned, we haven't had a competitor. Um, pushing us in the division where none of these games have really felt like a must win. So I'm interested to see if there's any series down the line, um, you know, late September, if we're maybe in contention for home field advantage throughout the playoffs for that number one AL seed, just haven't had that must win feel yet. And so I'm interested to see how the team performs uh, when we inevitably reach that point. You know, last week we talked about this road trip that they're currently on in Tampa Bay and Toronto as something of a litmus test. You know, looking down the stretch for the White Sox, they've got the Cubs this weekend. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that series later. And then the Pirates come to town in the middle of next week. And then you travel to Kansas City, have a day off, and then you go to Oakland. I think the White Sox, they can't lose any more than, well, we say can't lose, but it wouldn't be good if they lost any more than three or four games in Mm -hmm. that stretch of, contests against the Cubs, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City. Just because you got to keep beating up on those bad teams. You got to keep getting the job done. And you want momentum going into Oakland because that's going to be a big series. And then you play Boston in the series at home. And looking at the slate overall for September, it's pretty favorable, all Mm -hmm. things considered. 
looking at the opponents, you got the Royals, the Pirates, the Red Sox, the Angels, the Rangers, the Tigers, Cleveland again, uh, Cincinnati to wrap up the road slate or on the final home game of the season or final home stand of the season, you've got Cincinnati and Detroit. So, I mean, all things considered, these games against the Rays, those games against the Rays, and then those upcoming games against Oakland, those might be the last regular season games the White Sox have against playoff teams. So yeah. those kind of feel like must wins. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that uh, that Red Series ends up being something important for them. Gives us a little edge to play with. I'm hoping maybe Grandal coming back gets in the full swing of things against these easier opponents um, before we go, uh, obviously, play Oakland, like you mentioned. Um, maybe he'll find a swing, bat maybe over 200. That'd be nice. Um, as long as he gets on base, I can't complain. But, yeah, give him in the swing of things, and and uh, hopefully the team clicks well. I mean, like you said, we can't really be losing these games. we got to win every series um, for me to real really feel confident. Uh, if we were, I guess it would make me just feel a lot less confident if we did lose one, then it would make me feel confident if we won them all, it would just really suck to lose, uh, one of those series. Yeah, it would certainly be unfortunate. The good news is, I mean, heck we're talking like the sky has fallen for the white Sox here. They're still in first place ahead on 10 games of Cleveland. And if they pick up a big winning streak, they might be in the mix for that number one overall seed in the American league. They've still got the same amount of wins as the Houston Astros, so that's not too bad. It might be tough to catch Tampa, mm -hmm. especially after they lost two or three in Florida, but you never know. And I don't foresee a, a 2000, what was that season, 2012 meltdown coming again. I don't think that'll happen here. Yeah, I just don't think uh, any team's really strong enough to make that happen, luckily. If that was something I had to worry about, I think my confidence in the team would just be non-existent. That was a uh, that was a tough year. Was that the year they traded for Euclidus, uh, Kevin Euclidus? Yeah, honestly, Remember I think him and then either Rios was the same year or the year after. But I know Rios was a big move for us too, and I, that we thought was going to help out. And I think Carlos Quinton was on that team as well. That maybe was Carlos Quinton's year. He got injured. He was going to uh, win MVP, and then he he hit a foul ball and broke his wrist on his own bat. That was uh, one heck of a White Sox team. Yeah, one heck of a White Sox moment right there. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyways, to the other side of town, the Cubs have done nothing but lose. Uh, they snapped their 13-game home losing streak in grand fashion. Walk-off home run from Rafael Ortega, a former Colorado Rocky, against his former team. So that was a nice moment. But other than that, things have not exactly been sunshine and daisies. Yeah, no. Um, I was looking, I was thinking this whole time, Ortega, you know, he had that three home run game, uh, kind of in the same time that Zavala did. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, a few rookies, um, having crazy big three run home run games. And then I saw today, uh, Ortega made his debut like nine years ago for the Rockies. It was just so surprising to me. I thought that there was, that would be like a guy you'd be getting some, some playing time for, you know, the future, a younger guy. And now uh, he's, he's been in the league. Just haven't heard of him. Uh, Kind of a trend on that Cubs roster, unfortunately, right now. Yeah, it's a uh, the Cubs are playing a triple A team. I saw the Cubs, the Iowa Cubs broadcaster, the Cubs triple A affiliate. He tweeted after the Cubs won, he said, uh, The Cubs can thank the 2021 Iowa Cubs for that victory. <laughs> it 
it's pretty accurate, and that's the the point that the Cubs are at right now, which it is what it is. Uh, you kind of embrace that, and frankly, I have not watched very much at all. And I, I think that's a great moment for Ortega, and that, heck, yeah. that might be one of the highlights of the season. Um, and I think what a rebuilding season does for a fan base is it kind of puts those moments in perspective. You know, mm-hmm. even when – the team is really bad. You can still have those special moments because there are so many games in a season. You never know what could happen on any given day. And I think that is what kind of keeps you watching. Yeah. Baseball is, uh, is a game where I feel like, you know, the old saying 70% of the time, all stars get out and whatnot. Like you don't expect to have a great game every time, especially, you know, if you know your team's bad, you don't expect to win every game. So it is nice to see a cool moment like that. Something you can say like, yeah, you know, you're on the highlights for that, for that play or whatever. The team's not completely trash, at least for one night. Yeah, absolutely. More Cubs and Rockies headlines shifting to a, a brighter headline for the Cubs. Trevor story said about Wrigley field. It's a special place when you're here, there's something different about it. And he also said that he'd listen to the Cubs if they're serious about trying to come up with a quick turnaround. So I, I think that's exciting. Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, that's a that's someone Cubs fans would love. Just an awesome fielding shortstop, hitting, always been underrated, just a good ball player. I mean, he when he came into the league was breaking records for home runs in a certain amount of games. Like the dude can hit outside of the Coors effect. I mean, he's just a good ball player. He's a rich free agent, uh, shortstop market next year too. I know. Uh, I think Baez will be a free agent, Seager, Correa, Trevor Story. So it is nice to see, you know, one of the biggest names on that list already saying, uh, you know, Wrigley Field's a special place. And that, he's not the first to say that either. That'll That's something that the Cubs will always have in their favor is that people want to play at Wrigley Field. I mean, it's the historical landmark. People want to play there. Yes, it's the federal landmark, as, uh, yeah, as Dom go. would say. That's yeah. uh, It's classic. You know, people like playing there. And I, you're right. It's it's a tool that the Cubs can use to sell themselves. And I think that was a big factor when they signed John Lester back in the winter of 2014, entering the 2015 season. So I really do think the Cubs can turn it around quick if they're serious about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure that they are. I don't know if they want to go into a full rebuild like they did in 2010, 2011, 2012. I don't think that's the case. But you never know. I mean, they've done a pretty good job at tanking. So maybe they'll think, <laughs> oh, you know, we can do this next year and find a, another nice draft pick. But another name that's been tossed around throughout Chicago headlines is Nick Castellanos. If he opts out of his deal, and that's a guy that loved playing in Chicago. I was not happy when the Cubs let him walk. Mm-hmm. You get a guy like that, in my opinion, Castellanos has been one of the best players in the league, and he's so much fun to watch. He's electric. Um, if that's a guy that wants to play in Chicago and wants to be in your city, you don't let him walk. Right. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the last few years, his bat has been one of the most valuable, uh, bats in the league. I mean, uh, starting all-star this year, uh, him and Winker both from the reds. Yeah, I know that's, that seemed like me to me, someone that the Cubs needed to resign. He killed the White Sox for years in Detroit. I was so happy for him to leave and still produce. And I mean, he did so good when he went to Cubs for a while. Who's their best player that second half of the year. And so, yeah, I always think when I think about the Cubs turnaround, 
it'd be wrong of them to do a, to make a big splash, like sign Trevor story to like a six year deal. That'd be great. But I still don't think if they don't make another pitching move, their pitching is just what makes me um, cautious on calling it a quick turnaround. Because if you don't have pitchers, you're just, it's kind of where like those fraud teams come in where, yeah, they're going to have some good months of, of, of good baseball. Even if you're putting up the same numbers as say Boston, they had a quick turnaround. They went from World Series champs, traded away the best player in the league, um, had an awful year, had a top draft pick last year, and now this year, uh, for the most part, they've been a pretty good team. You know, great, great offense. But again, the pitching is just kind of wasn't there. They the pitching wasn't ready for to win games yet. Um, so I'm interested to see if the Cubs can maybe develop some of that young pitching talent. Uh, I know most of their their farm system, their top guys are hitters. I know you guys are pretty deep at the middle infield. Uh, Brennan Davis, a great ball player, moved to outfield. So that that's nice for you guys. But I think pitching is going to come down to um, maybe a big free agent guy, uh, maybe someone who, again, is going to see, see Trevor Story sign a deal or something like that and say, okay, Cubs are serious. Cubs are really trying to win this now. You know, if they shell out $200 million for their, their shortstop, they want to win. They're not just doing that. You know, they shipped off all these guys that people liked more than the ones they're going to bring in just to save money. So they wouldn't spend if they're not trying to win. And I think the Cubs, you know, they could show that they could. Yeah. I'll be very intrigued this off season. I mean, there hasn't been a moment in the last few off seasons where fans are unsure of what direction the team is going in, except maybe last off season because the Cubs were just very stagnant. Um, but you looked on paper and outside of the Darvish trade, you thought, Oh, well, maybe this team can compete, but now I really don't know what the Cubs could do. They can make more trades. You know, they could trade away some more of their talented players, or they could go out and sign guys like Trevor story. And I hope it's the latter uh, because I think there is a quick way to the top for this team, but you make a great point about the pitching. Another team that comes to mind like that is Toronto. I mean, stacked with bats, they got Hinjin Ryu and then Jose Barrios, who they traded for at the deadline and gave up a huge haul for, and that's still not enough. They're 12 games back at Tampa Bay, five games out of a wild card spot. They struggled as of late. They're pretty much out of it. Um, so it, it definitely does come down to the pitching. And outside of Kyle Hendricks and Adbert Alzali on a good day, I'm very much not confident in anything that the Cubs have in terms of pitching. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I like that, uh, Toronto, to, the, to what the Cubs could be. You know, they have some good talent. That trade – that Toronto made to get Barrios is going to look real bad in a few years because Austin Martin and um, Simeon Woods Richardson, I think that's what his name is. Yep. Studs. Like they're going to be starters. They're, they're going to be, you know, some of the best players on the Twins for years to come. And uh, unfortunately, they just kind of shot and missed there. Like they were the piece away. They knew they needed starting pitching. They had still the talent in the farm system after guys like Vladdy and, and Bichette came up already. And just kind of, you know, as of right now, took a big swing and a little recency bias just because Barrios didn't have the best start today. But um, if they don't if they don't make the playoffs next year, I know he still has another year on the contract, which did play into that big trade. But if they don't make the playoffs next year, then that's huge. Like, that's an awful trade. That's awful for them. So I, I I'm sure that yeah. the Cubs will want to refrain from taking a big risk like that because they're not quite where Toronto was coming into this year. 
Um, obviously, I mean, as of right now, they're they're one of the worst teams in the league. But if they were to do something like that, I still think they'd be a few more moves away than Toronto was. So, but I do like that comparison definitely. One off the field thing I do want to touch on with the Cubs is they opened up their Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame. They included all the members you would imagine, except one guy, and that's Sammy Sosa. No Sammy Sosa in the Cubs Hall of Fame. That relationship continues to be very rocky and tumultuous. I was a little surprised. I I wouldn't say I was surprised. I was disappointed, but not surprised. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think that's um, every single time. From an outsider, a non-Cubs fan's point of view, what irks me about it is that they still post his highlights and stuff. They still post Sammy Sosa stuff like on the Cubs Twitter all the time. Any big, any anniversary of a big Sosa event, they're still sharing it. Like if you're going to share every single, like this guy's Hall of Fame, should be Hall of Fame highlights, and then just act like he wasn't a part, like that's just weird. Like they're treating it so weird. You would think yeah, that they just would I... refrain from from posting about him or talking about him yeah you'd imagine it's i feel like it's a tricky play because i know a lot of the social media folks you know they don't exactly have all the contact with the front office or yeah whoever makes those decisions so i get that because people love sammy sosa so you'd think oh people would love if sammy sosa went into the cubs hall of fame i think it kind of all ties into the whole barry bonds Mark McGuire era of baseball and kind of the big hall of fame, you know, Barry Bonds probably won't make it. Frankly, I don't think he should make it, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, and the Cubs probably feel hesitant to let Sammy Sosa in their hall of fame maybe because of the steroids. But then again, he did so much for the team and he did so much for baseball when he played. I mean, he had everybody enamored with Chicago Cubs that summer on a team that wasn't competitive when he was in that race with McGuire. So it really is kind of surprising to see the Cubs continue to kind of diminish what Sosa did. Yeah. It seems like one of those things where he should be in the Cubs hall of fame. Like he's not going to make it into the hall of fame. You know, he's got the steroid cloud over his head but he was one of the best players for the Cubs. Like you can't take away that hall of fame. They've got their, those writers, you know, they always have their reasons why they're not going to vote whoever in and steroids, you know, you could argue rightfully so, but you know, he's a Cubs hall of famer. Like you think when you think of your team's hall of famers, it's like the most memorable guys, the, the guys who gave you the best runs. I mean, that home run race Cubs fans, like that made Cubs fans. And it's just so weird to think that they don't include that you know, as part of their history, they don't really think of that as their team's history. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's insane to think about. That's your team's history. You should want that. You should, you know, you should lay claim to that. No kidding. It's just bizarre to me. And I know we've discussed having a certain guest on the podcast, perhaps at one point, and he would probably have a lot to say about that, but enough Sammy Sosa. I kind of feel bad for him. Kind of don't. uh, So I don't have to see his, Strange face. Sammy Sosa <laughs> looking pretty scary these days, man. I don't know if I'd want to see him at Wrigley. It's Fields. for the kids. That's why that's why Wrigley's <laughs> like that. It's for the kids. Of no course. Sammy Sosa allowed. Uh moving to another topic of home runs. Miguel Cabrera belting number five hundred. It was only a matter of time. I think people were kind of waiting, and that was a probably the number one reason to watch the Tigers over the last week. And then 
He finally belted it up in Toronto. So that was really exciting to watch. And I think that was kind of a, a moment, at least for me and you and kind of our generation to step back and think, wow, this guy has been dominant pretty much the whole time we've watched baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of those guys uh, is a Sox fan that you just love to hate. Like, you know, he's going to come up and and hit a tank when your team doesn't need it. Um it is so weird to think that you're watching a Hall of Fame career unfold in front of you. But I mean, we play the Tigers, you know, 20 times a year. Every single time I get to see a Hall of Famer, one of the best pure hitters of my lifetime go out there. It's like uh, for a Cubs fan, I'm sure Albert Pujols feels a similar way. Uh, triple crown winner. Haven't seen that since. Such an amazing feat to know that you lived during that. Um, yeah, just one of the best, best players. I wish he, that Tigers team on or those good tigers teams would have won something because there's a lot of players on the tigers rosters jd martinez justin verlander i wish he had had a ring with uh detroit miggy i wish he had gotten another one with detroit a lot of good players on those teams that you thought were they were going to win something and he's he's probably the biggest one i know he did get his ring in uh with the marlins but he's a tiger to me i know that's because i'm a little uh younger than his entire career honestly but yeah, super happy for him. A good guy. You know, every single time you see Miggy highlights, he's messing with someone at first base nowadays when he's not hitting his 500th uh, home run. And hopefully we talked earlier, hopefully we'll see 3000 hits coming soon too. Yeah. You make a great point about a hall of fame career unfolding and I've got his baseball reference page pulled up. I mean, that was a great comp between Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols. That's exactly what I was thinking because Cabrera, White Sox killer, and AL Central killer, and Pujols was the same way when he was with St. Louis. It was like you can't miss watching his at-bats because something bad is going to happen for your team when that guy is at the plate in the late stages of games. And Cabrera, I mean, just so consistent on Detroit. 2008, he hit 292. And then between 2009 and 2016, he hit over 300 every single season, including that 2012 triple crown. And that was the year the Tigers snuck up on the White Sox and took the division from them. So, I mean, that year, especially, I think that kind of epitomizes it. Yeah. That's insane to think about. Wow. Seven or eight seasons in a row hitting 300. And now it's like, if you know, 305 is going to win a batting title potentially, or you got Tim Anderson, you know, winning the batting title by just sneaking in with the amount of plate appearances required or something like that's far and away the best hitter of those of that era or of that, you know, time segment that you referred to. And that's just insane to think about, you know, living through, I mean, a really a hall of famer, one of the best players in baseball history, every, every few days tanking against your team, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he's definitely slowed it down lately. Yeah, unfortunately. And this year he's got, 13 home runs, 56 RBIs, hitting 246, which is pretty impressive considering that he's been kind of a guy that's been hampered by injuries lately in his career, but he's still going out there and producing, although it's war is 0.4, negative 0.4. So it's kind of hurting the Tigers. But at this point, you know, what are you going to do? Bench a future Hall of Famer? Right. Cut that a future one. Hall of Famer? Oh, wait, that's what the Angels did. <laughs> yeah Torkelson's gonna come up soon and maybe not uh give them a choice because he's gonna he's gonna bring shoot just another bat 
to that lineup. Tiger's got a few guys. Riley Green, Tuing, Tuing, going to be a great, um, great bat again. They they just got some good talent. Casey Mize, if they if he turns out to be that number one prospect uh, type guy, number one number one pick type guy. Tariq Skubal, another good pitcher. They have a lot of pieces to be big. Another team that, you know, if they get a, a free agent shortstop, I think that'd be huge for them. A free agent shortstop in Detroit. They've got some good pitching prospects, got some bats coming up. Um, and, you know, they're competing with Cleveland for second place this year. So, you know, not necessarily their year right now, but still they're a decent team that's better than the real bad teams in the Central. Yeah, absolutely. They've got a lot of very good prospects coming up in the system. And they've also got A.J. Hinch, who's a great manager, and he's managed this year's team so well that, you know, they've messed around and won a lot of games they had no business winning considering they're a rebuilding team. So that's been a little fun to watch. And, of course, it's always fun to watch a future Hall of Famer and Miguel Cabrera, and I'm going to have a lot of fun telling my kids that, you know, I went to White Sox games and saw him kill the White Sox, so. Yeah, I won't have as much fun talking about that, but definitely something we can we can say the rest of our lives. All right, let's talk Yankees now. They've been the hottest team in baseball for more than a week now. Ten straight wins. Uh, just had a great game yesterday against the Braves, where they took uh, or where they ended Atlanta's nine-game winning streak. Rather, two hot teams playing. Yankees still coming out on top. I mean, I don't know what their secret is. Obviously, getting healthy is helping, but they've just been playing some great baseball up there. Yeah, they just defeated Atlanta tonight, 5-4, to four, and another great game. So that's 11 straight wins for the Yankees. I just made a bet with one of my roommates, who's a Yankees fan. I said, I will bet you $5 that the Yankees don't win the AL East. And now I see the Yankees, they've won 11 games in a row. I don't know. I hope I don't have to eat my words. The Rays better come through for me, but... The Yankees are going to be hard to stop just because they've got so much momentum right now. And like we mentioned earlier, they're doing it against really good teams. Yeah, they're in that AL East where every single team you play uh, outside of Baltimore and the embarrassment over in Baltimore. But, um, you know, even they they play some good baseball every once in a while. Uh, but, yeah, every single time they go out against a divisional opponent, they're playing a over 500 team, you know, a potential playoff team. They got to bring their A game every day. They're in a division where if they have a bad week or a bad couple of weeks, uh, they saw what the Red Sox did, just completely fell down out of the playoff race. And now really they don't have a shot or have a, a horse in this race anymore just because New York's played so well at the same time that Boston really wasn't. And so now all of a sudden it just seems like the momentum, like you said, totally shifted. Yankees are shooting up those rankings and um, yeah, Tampa's going to have to keep playing the number one team in baseball type baseball. You know, they're going to have to keep playing like they are the best, um, which if any team's going to do it, they're the ones who can uh, keep the Yankees behind them uh, and in the rear view there, but it's still going to be a challenge. I mean, they could play their best baseball and still have it come down to the last, last series of the year. So I'm very interested to see how this plays out. Um, you know, it could be a couple injuries away from something happening. I hope that's not the case, but, uh, anything could happen in this last month here as we're approaching the end of August. I actually didn't even really realize that until now, but we got about a month of baseball left. So uh, very excited to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll be watching a lot of baseball outside of the White Sox just because, mm -hmm. like we mentioned earlier, 
the White Sox have that division in hand, and I think I'll probably be watching a lot of the AL East because I think at this pace, I mean, obviously the Yankees aren't just going to keep winning game after game after game after game for weeks after week, uh, week after week, I should say. But at this rate, the Yankees are going to catch the Rays, and the Rays are still playing good baseball. I mean, seven and three in their last 10 games, still getting the job done against good teams you know, defended home turf against the White Sox. Tampa has been really, really hard to beat at home. They've also been really good on the road. So they're always a tough team to beat. But like you said, they just got to keep winning. And I think it could turn into a, uh, obviously, if Tampa keeps winning, it could turn into a scenario where it's like the Giants and the Dodgers, where you've got the Dodgers playing very, very well, but they still haven't been able to catch the Giants. Yeah, another interesting part about the race is that not only whoever wins is not going to have to play, uh, talking between the Yankees and Rays here, whoever wins isn't going to have to play that one-game wild card um, and likely going to have home, home field advantage, uh, at least until the World Series. Uh, actually, we won the All-Star game. Crazy rule, but we'll, we'll take that home field advantage. Uh, no, or- that's done. That's done. See, the whole that's All-Star home field advantage thing. That's what I thought, and I was corrected. Producer Will Gray is on the hot seat today because, uh oh, God, not just making me look like a fool. No, but yeah, <laughs> they'll have home field advantage till that point, um, which will end up being huge. Like you said, the Rays are super good at home. I'm sure the Yankees play off home field advantage. That's got to be immense. Um, so I'm sure there's that extra, that extra desire to really win the division that teams like the White Sox unfortunately just don't have and even the Astros really there it doesn't look like they're really pushing for that number one overall seed in the AL are going to be pushing yeah and at this point I think my playoff predictions is going to be Tampa Bay and New York in you know pick your order I think it'll be a toss-up out of there and then I think the wild card team is going to be Oakland out of the West, just based on how poorly Boston has played a little bit down the stretch. They've started to turn it around a little bit, but I think I like Oakland's chances a little bit better. Um, But if the Yankees end up playing in that wild card game, if the season ended today, they'd host Boston. I love their chances in that game, but if Boston turns it around, the Yankees slip up a little bit. If that game's in Fenway, I don't like the Yankees' chances. They had a complete meltdown in their last series in Boston right before the Yankees really started playing great baseball. So you never know with that one-game playoff, and that's I love it, and I hate it for that reason. I really want to see the Yankees make the wild card game and then just have a meltdown and lose, and that would nothing would make me happier. Yeah, oh, I'm thinking the exact same thing, just how Yankees fans are, like, I can't imagine the pure entertainment logging on to Twitter the day after that and just seeing half of the baseball world in shambles after getting their hopes up, thinking, you know, they're playing like the best team in baseball right now. They're thinking that rightfully so. And then I've always thought just how unfair baseball, you can play 162 games of, you know, the second best baseball in your division. You could be the second best. I mean, NLS, you probably have the two best teams in baseball. One of them is going to have to, you know, toss their season up into one game and could potentially, you know, lose that game and all of a sudden it's gone. So that seems a little unfair baseball. But if it was to the Yankees, then eh, you can let it slide. Uh, yeah, I, I think we can make an excuse for that. I wouldn't feel bad. No love <laughs> lost there for me. But 
yeah, the Yankees, a lot of fun to watch, 11 straight wins for them. And then we talked about it a few moments ago, but the NL West, the Dodgers, another hot team. They've won 13 of 15 entering tonight, and they're still two and a half games behind the San Francisco baseball giants who just keep on winning seven and three in their last 10. And it's kind of like the Yankees where the Dodgers are hot in second place, but if San Francisco keeps on doing what they're doing, they'll be just fine. Yeah. I think everyone expected the Dodgers to be at this point uh, where they're at, maybe not second place, uh, maybe not where at their, where they're at in the standings, but as far as, you know, win totals and just overall how their season's going, uh, obviously you look at the trade deadline, that is huge for them. Just getting another ACE in their rotation, another all-star level player in Trey Turner. That's huge for the Dodgers, but we've talked about it so many times. Just nobody expected the giants to be as good as they were throughout most of the regular season. And thank God for that. Cause now Dodgers, like I said, playing how we all expected it to be, but the giants still somehow have that lead. I was looking like a three, three team race for a while early in the year. Unfortunately, the Padres just kind of fell off too. So now maybe that adds for a little bit more drama as we see just the two team race going down into the to the home stretch. Well, it'll be really interesting to see uh, how that pans out. But also, you know, Padres now in their own kind of B team race, still fighting for that second wild card spot with Cincinnati, who recently took the lead and are now uh, one game ahead of them going into tonight's play. Yeah, Doogie Hauser's Reds. I mean, they just keep on surprising people. And honestly, I'm still not very high on that team. While we're on the topic of that one game wild card situation, obviously anything can happen. Any team could beat any team on any given day. I think if you toss the Baltimore Orioles in that wild card game, I think they could beat a team like the Yankees, you know, one out of 10 times or two out of 10 times. So you never know. But I mean, if it's Dodgers versus Reds in that wild card matchup, I mean, come on, on paper, it's the Dodgers, not even close. And you look at the Reds bullpen, it's so bad. I don't know how you trust that unit of your team in a one game. Chips are down on the table, high stakes matchup, because you look at the trends of baseball in those games. It's you throw your best starting pitcher out there because winner go home. But if he struggles in the third inning, you go to the bullpen. But the Reds don't have that luxury. And the Dodgers, they're a little deeper out of the bullpen, although their back end hasn't exactly been great this season. Yeah, I think the Reds would have to get real creative. Uh, maybe look at using like an opener for an inning or two, then bringing in your starter, trying to get him at least to the sixth or seventh inning, you know, hoping he can go a little longer just to save that risk of bringing in the bullpen because it just hasn't been hot. It's a, it's a liability for the team, you know, they can go out, put up four runs in the first and just not feel confident still about the rest of the game, especially when in that game, you know, you're playing a good team, you know, you're playing a playoff level team. And um, if they're giving up leads, if their bullpen's not performing against, you know, the Cubs or some of these other poor teams that they've played, then you just can't really have any faith in that one game. Uh, if you're a Reds fan, I mean, even today, I was looking at the scores before we hopped on here, they were up four one to the Brewers. And say, hey, you know, good for them. Going to increase that lead on the Padres, but now it's five, five, four Brewers. Uh, just in the one inning of play since then, so <laughs> it just plays into exactly what we're talking about. No lead safe for them. It's the funniest thing to me 
about the Reds is that their fans have absolutely no faith that they're going to hang on and make the playoffs, (laughs) even though the Reds are much, much hotter than the Padres are. And obviously the Padres are probably the better team on paper, but the hot hand almost always wins out when it comes to August and September baseball, but it's hilarious. I had one of my Reds fan friends. He texted a group chat. I'm in, he said, Reds about to blow it. Everybody turn it on. And sure enough, the Reds blew it. And as you mentioned, they're now losing to the Milwaukee Brewers. So I don't know if we want to take the Reds fans advice. Everybody is really high on the Reds, except Reds fans. Maybe they know something that we don't. Maybe they know that for the past few years, their bullpen has been bad. That'd be something, huh? Yeah. Who are we to trust them? Yeah, right. Reds fans, man. Let me tell you. Who'd watch them every single day? Yeah, seriously. I am interested, though, because, I mean, after the offseason, it seemed like uh, Dodgers, Padres, they were like the talk of the league. I know our good friend Justin Brown, big on the Padres. I, I was big on the Padres, too. I thought they had the pitching staff. I had I thought they had all the pieces, especially after they traded for Adam Frazier. It seemed like that was uh, one of the biggest trades because you knew he was getting traded and you knew he was going to go help a team out but you didn't know where he was going to end up. And it seemed like, oh, Padres, okay, good fit. And he's just been awful for them. Uh, Since he's been a Padre, putting up a 570 OPS, translating to a 61 OPS plus, um, but well below average, obviously, and just really not what they were hoping for. Just no production, not helping them win games. And that's what they needed. They needed a guy who was going to take, you know, turn losses to wins. They have one guy on their team right now, you know, maybe two in, uh, Machado and Tatis who can take a, a bad game and if they're their spots up coming up next inning you think okay we're still in this even if it is the ninth inning how many times have we had a um, dramatic Padres game in the past two years it seems like all of their games are just you know must watch television and even still this year they've had some real good close games but unfortunately some of those end in a, a walk-off loss to the Rockies or just uh, you know they've just kind of been underperforming I know the pitching hasn't been great, but I was just really hoping to see uh, a better team down there, much more similar to what we saw last year. Yeah, I think for them, really the pitching has been the problem. They just canned their pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, which was a little surprising to me. Um, but again, I was watching the Dodgers game on my TV, thanks to my free MLB TV subscription, and they were talking about it on their broadcast. And they said, well, expectations were high, rightfully so, and then you don't live up to those expectations, somebody's got to take the fall for it. And it really is the pitching. You look at the numbers, Blake Snell, a 4-8-2 ERA. He has not been able to pitch on the road at all. He's been decent, serviceable at home, but on the road he's just been awful. And then you got Chris Paddock, who hasn't been able to stay healthy, 5-1-3 ERA in 93 innings. And the Padres are so desperate. They signed Jake Arrieta. I was shocked when I saw that. And Darvish is on the DL, Paddock's on the DL, and then Lamette's also on the DL for San Diego. So that's, you know, three guys who could be at on your starting rotation in any given moment of the season. Uh, so obviously you got to dig into the free agent pool, but you got to be desperate if you're signing Jake Arietta. I mean, he was bad this year. Yeah, I mean, we're talking. We just talked about a historically bad Cubs team that just dumped this guy, maybe because of his uh, 
ignorant comments post game, but obviously mostly because he had like a six something ERA, he just couldn't pitch. And then the Padres think that this guy's going to come. I'm sure they obviously didn't think he was going to save their season or anything, but why are you even, you saw what he does. You saw what he can do. And then his first game out, he put up like, he gave up like three in the first inning. Like that's exactly what he's going to do. He's just washed up and he's not going to be a guy who's even going to give you a chance to win at this point. He's not even doing that. But yeah, that is sad to see, you know, probably their top three starting pitchers. Paddock maybe had a better rookie year and um, maybe a lot of people, myself included, were higher up on him than he actually is. And then he has performed since then, but you don't know if he's not healthy. And unfortunately uh, he's on the DL now. Lamette, he's an ace. I think he's a great player. And Snell, man, that just makes that uh, trade with the Rays look like a fleece. Like the Rays seem to get a hold of every single person. I mean, Patino is going to be a stud. And I thought at the time, you know, it's okay because the Padres are going to be competing for a World Series. They are going to need someone like Snell. But now it's like, well, I'd rather have Patino now than Snell now. So <laughs> let alone yeah. the fact that he's a younger guy with control and Snell's not. And no injury issues are not the same ones as Snell, at least. It's tough because you never – no. And I don't blame the Padres for making that trade because they're at that point where they were all in. And not only were they all in, but the Dodgers were all in. And every move that the Padres made, the Dodgers would make one. So it was punch for punch in the offseason. And like we talked about, everybody's talking all, you know, this Dodgers Padres series is going to be crazy this year. And everybody's kind of forgotten about the Padres now. And now it's just the Dodgers and the Giants. So it's really wild how things can turn like that, but I don't blame the Padres for really going all in and investing their farm system into players to win now, because I mean, heck, if I was a Padres fan, I'd be happy to see that mm-hmm. because they have not had a true world series contender in so long. And I think the timing of all this for them has just been so unfortunate to run into the Dodgers in one of the best eras of you know, their franchise, which is very, very storied. And then the Giants who are having all this resurgence all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The timing did not uh, go in their favor. Uh, and I think just injuries too. You just can't, you don't know how good the team could have been, even if they were, maybe we could have seen the best three-team race of all time with three of the best teams in the league. Um, but I mean, they're missing 60% of their starting rotation and, you know, the other 40% isn't even pitching like major league starters. So uh, maybe we'll look back. Maybe they still got some in their tank. Like, you know, maybe they make a free agent move and they're just back to competing next year. Like the, the Red Sox or maybe that's not a good, maybe that's not a good <laughs> example, but uh, you know, like we were talking about a quick turnaround. They're not obviously not going to be rebuilding or anything, but a, a, a quick few moves and they're right back into contention. And um, you know, next year, I think this year is probably not their year as far as world series goes. They obviously are still fighting for a playoff spot and they may win a series or two on top of that. But um, if the pitching doesn't come back to what all of those individuals were last year, then I think it doesn't matter. Yeah, because, again, it all comes down to the pitching. I think at the end of the day, you can put up as many runs as, as you want, but in the major leagues, that's not enough to win games because, you know, opposition's pitching is – very, very good, and you're going to run into an ace every once in a while. So you're yeah. going to need to win a pitcher's duel, at least here or there. So here's to hoping that the Padres can turn it around because I feel like that 
Cincinnati and San Diego race down the stretch is going to be really fun to watch. And I'm hoping that you Darvish can get healthy and get back into his usual self. Yeah, no, I agree. You Darvish has always been one of my favorite pitches to watch uh, just how he, he uses 20 different pitches and he can get you out with all of them. Uh, it really sucks when he's not healthy. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking as bad as the Padres could end up being or as bad as they could chalk up this season, at least they're winning games. And that's something that the Orioles can't say that they've done for the past 18 times that they've stepped out on a diamond. That's pretty bad. Approaching the record of 26 straight losses set by the 1889 Louisville Colonels. That is a lot of games. There were probably some dairy farmers and some, you know, illiterate shoeless Joes on that team, but modern air record of even 23, that seems feasible for the Orioles at this point. I don't know if they win another game this year. At this point, all hope appears to be lost for the Orioles. It's just one of those things. We talked about rebuilding earlier in the show about, you know, you never know what game you're going to have a special moment from one of those rebuild seasons. Heck, any Orioles win this season is that special moment. Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness, this is bad. We talked about it last show about how bad the Orioles have been and those long losing streaks. And I don't even know if, if this, you could say this is the worst stretch of Orioles baseball in their history compared to the time when they, you know, lost, what was it? The first yeah. 13, 14 games of the season. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad, but it's, we're laughing now. I'm sure the Orioles rebuild will pay off down the road in terms of draft picks, but you know, you got to win some and then you got to lose some. And honestly, I didn't think the Orioles were going to be this bad this year, but like you said, it could always be worse in baseball. Before the show started, I looked up the worst Major League Baseball seasons in history, just out of curiosity. I know the 2003 Detroit Tigers were really the most recent team that was like, okay, they're really, really bad. And that team went 43-119, and 119, and they finished 47 games back of a playoff spot. Looking at the Orioles' record right now, they are 38-86. and 86. So all they need to do is win a few more games, and at least they can say they're better than the 2003 Detroit Tigers. Yeah, they got they got a few things going for them. They had a no-hitter this year mixed in with a few. John Means tossed a nice game. Um, kind of already forgotten just because there were so many early on in this year before the whole foreign substance thing. But, yeah, that's, I guess, one good thing. Uh, they also have the number one prospect in baseball, Adley Rutschman, uh, switch hitting catcher. He's going to be probably the best catcher um of the next few years as well as they're competing with the cubs for that uh you know draft order of this year i think cubs just squeaked into like a top five pick but the orioles are holding strong to that number one overall so i'm sure um they'll inject their farm system with uh some more top tier talent after this year but and i we're also talking about the timing of the padres maybe it kind of works out that the timing of the orioles they're really bad when the rest of their division is really good so maybe, you know, two, three years when they start to put together a competitive team, that's when teams like uh, Boston or maybe even the Yankees uh, will start to fizzle out from their current teams. And, you know, they'll have a window to compete. In. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way to look at it because of the teams in that division, in the AL East, you've got Boston, you've got New York, 
You've even got Toronto that sometimes plays as a big market team and Tampa Bay who outsmarts everybody on a year-to-year basis. And then you've got Baltimore who is generally the smallest market in that division. It's almost unfair to have to keep up with the Yankees and Red Sox year after year after year. So you're right in that they'll start to hit their stride when, you know, Boston's window is up and the Yankees window with their current group is up and probably Tampa Bay's as well, even though their core is a little bit younger. I think their competitive window is going to be a good timing. Although you just never know because the Yankees can go out there and sign any free agent they damn well please and then be a competitor. Yeah, get him a barber, tell him to shave the beard, and then anyone you want's on your team. That's always something I've been envious of. Uh, but yeah, Orioles, they'll have a few bright spots to look forward to. I mean, I really think Adley Rutschman is going to be a star in this league. Um, hopefully we'll maybe even see him a little bit in September. I wonder if he gets called up uh, as well as they got. Could be the number one pitching prospect, I think, right now. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, right-handed pitcher, just throws gas, puts up double-digit strikeouts every single time he goes out. So, um, you know, next year, you'll have something to look forward to. This year, maybe you can break some records as far as losses go and uh, have your name in the record books and lay claim to fame there. Well, if you're going to be bad, you might as well go all in, right? Yeah, seriously, they're they're good at being bad. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly, they're tanking, just like the Cubs. Good at being bad. Might as well, man. You know, I if I'm a rebuilding team, I don't want to go 500. I want to get a top five right. draft pick. Right. So, at the very least, at least the Orioles can say that they've got that number one pick locked up. Yeah, you know who's bad at tanking is the Rockies. There's an example <laughs> of how you can be a field, a bad, a bad team every single game and still seem like you're not trying to get better in the future. Like I'm sure if Trevor story was an Oriole prior to the trade deadline, he'd be elsewhere. If Trevor story was anywhere, um, but the Rockies, he'd be, he'd been shipped off. That's so bizarre, right? So weird. It's borderline idiotic. Like these teams aren't even, you don't have to try and hide it or anything. Like no (laughs) team is, you know, the Orioles haven't been trying to play their good prospects to win some games. Like they're not trying to be good. You don't have to try and be good Colorado. Like you don't have to say, Hey fans, come on, watch Trevor story. Like they know you're bad. You're still going to lose the game. I don't think Trevor story is really bringing all that many people at this point to your stadium. So just get some prospects, get some international signing bonus money or something, you know, get something for Trevor story. Cause everyone knows he's not going back to Colorado. Yeah. And I don't think the, fans in Denver are coming out to the ballpark to watch a good Rockies team. I mean, they're going there to wear their Patagonia hats and shirts right. and, and drink IPAs with the boat, with the boys from the office, you know, nobody's going to watch Trevor story. It's just kind of a, you know, that Rocky mountain vibe is just relaxed. They don't care that the Rockies are bad. As long as they're playing baseball, something yeah. to do. If they're okay with that, then I guess that's why I'm not a Rockies fan. Yeah. That's, me too. <laughs> oh, man. Last, getting into the last few segments here. Follow up from last week. The White Sox having a good year on the field, but off the field, Jason Benetti and Steve Stone took the best broadcasting team Twitter poll tournament. Uh, a well deserved title, in my opinion. Yeah, it was nice to see. Definitely always love to, to get a little recognition. Unfortunately, Benetti was out. Uh, the past few weeks with COVID and while that was kind of going on and I had to deal with Gordon Beckham 
and I will say Gordon Beckham's maybe my top two and not two least favorite to listen to. I was listening with my roommate Ryan, and this and it's just so hard to listen to Gordon Beckham try and give uh, professional hitters hitting advice. It's like, okay, Gordon, you hit what like two forty your career. You were a great prospect. Sox really were looking for something out of you, and now you're in the booth trying to tell people. I liked Gordon Beckham, but. Benetti's the guy, you know, we need him back in the booth. Uh, and even sometimes I actually think it is Benetti and Steve or Benetti and Gordon. Yeah. Cause um, Benetti's back now. now that he's back. And then right. Steve headed out to Arizona to uh, quote, watch his dogs. Yeah. He's on old, old person vacation time right yes. now while they're yes, on the road indeed. trip. People yeah. forget, man. Steve Stone's getting up there. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I'm sure uh, the next few years I'll be thinking about his last games being called. Cause yeah, he's, he's an old dude, but he's sharp one of my as favorite attack, guys. Though. I mean, really, I mean, every you mentioned Gordon Beckham, you know, his analysis. I've listened to him a little bit. He's not bad, but like Steve Stone just makes everybody sound like they've never watched baseball before. You yeah, know, just the stuff that he brings is so in depth. Having a pitcher be um, in the booth, I think that's always, uh, I feel like a lot of the best um, play by play and color guys are always pitchers. Like they just get the game more color guys so they get the understanding of the game and why things happen so they can um steve stone i just feel like what i really like about him is explaining things that are about to happen because he knows the game before they happen i feel like he does stuff like that a lot he knows when the pitcher's gonna or when the batter's gonna get a a meatball or when a, a pitcher's gonna throw a certain pitch uh, and that just all adds to the enjoyment of watching the game so yeah i definitely think well deserved uh white Sox twitter of course coming in clutch there i think Maybe some other uh, announcer duos probably could have earned that as well, but White Sox Twitter always pops out, so I can't complain. I do have to say how that bracket played out was very respectable and kind of like how I would fill it out. I yeah, mean, the Elite the... Eight was pretty, pretty much how I would handpick it. The Final Four was well-deserved. I mean, I know those tournaments are just based on how fans and you know Twitter bases are – fan bases show up on Twitter, I should say. And the White Sox obviously have a very strong following online. But regardless, I think uh, baseball fans have a good taste. Yeah, that's true. That's the one thing that it says is that they have a good taste. People respect the boys, and, and they should. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How about a little baseball history, Lucas? I, I was listening to the radio today and – on a segment on this show called the Jim Matson show here in Peoria, they were talking almanac, you know, this date and whatever. Of course, this date in baseball history, something interesting happened on the, it was not the South side of Chicago, but it was a Bill Vec idea before he got to the South side of Chicago in 1951 using yes and no signs, a thousand fans, seated behind the St. Louis Browns dugout, voted on decisions made by the coaching staff. So it was fans making managerial decisions. So the coaches would hold up a sign. Do you want to throw down a bunt here? And fans would hold up signs, yes or no. And then the managers would put on that sign based on what the fans said. I have so many questions. That sounds like something you'd see at a collegiate summer ball game or not like major um, league baseball. What is it? The Savannah bananas or what's that yes. team that plays? Yeah. yeah with Savannah like those bananas. crazy rules. That's like right up their alley, but 
seeing that in a professional game, that's crazy. Doesn't the other team kind of just get at that point what's happening? Like, ooh, runner on first and second, nobody <laughs> out. The whole crowd just yelled up a yes sign. I think we probably got a bunt coming or something like that. Like, that's very interesting. What was their what was their manager story? Like, were they out of a manager and just had an interim guy or just? No, I, I think it was just the team's owner saying, hey, we're doing this to get fans at the ballpark. That's Which Steve is, Cohen's next move. I don't know. I Steve Cohen, man, he seems like a, a crotchety old, like, get off my lawn, we're doing yeah, things the way true. they've been done type of guy. He's making the decisions. That's Outside of Twitter, do. of course. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. But, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And St. Louis won. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they they beat the A's 5-3. to three, So that is uh, – that's really something. And it got my mind thinking – how would that be done in 2021? I think it would be a lot easier, right? Twitter poll. Twitter poll. Tony LaRussa hopping on <laughs> yeah. Twitter. The tweeter machine, as he would probably call it. He would get bullied in the replies. Oh, God. I almost, almost feel bad. <laughs> almost feel bad. And then I also heard another one where a player got struck by lightning. So Ray Caldwell. In 1919, was pitching, and he was knocked unconscious by a lightning strike with two outs in the top of the ninth inning. The dude got knocked down, knocked unconscious. Five minutes later, he gets up, finishes the game. My goodness. You got that, nuts? that is insane. Probably on 320 pitches, too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> It was a two to one win. Still was low scoring. Wow. I mean, if there's lightning within like 20 miles now, a game's canceled. And this guy let it, not only did they let it get close enough, I wonder if it was like moving in fast. Like, guys, we got to get this. We got to get pitcher gets struck by lightning. (laughs) And just in the middle of it, that's insane. And he gets back up and finishes it. Wow. I mean, heck, you know, I, I don't think that, they had the weather radars out. I mean, they probably looked at the sky and said, oh, shit, storm's coming. Everybody hunker down, oh, but we're almost done, so let's just wrap this up. And then, zap, there goes Ray. Yeah, they still but, used. Uh, uh, they still listened to the train tracks to figure out the train schedule, too. Yeah, probably. Listen for and that then, coming. How about going back about 10 years before that, in 1910, this is an interesting one, Billy Sullivan snags three baseballs dropped by battery mate Ed Walsh from atop the Washington Monument. I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but. Yeah, what did they reach the ground at? 200 miles per hour? Pretty much. So it's 555 feet from the top of the Washington Monument to the bottom. Jeez. And these guys just decided, hey, let's, uh, let's drop some balls. Let's drop some balls. Do it for do it for Washington. Do it for the country. That's baseball right there. I, I feel like that's something that would happen in 2001, 2021, not 1910, right? Yeah, That'd be something like that some TikToker does. Like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to the top of the Washington Monument. We're going to drop some balls down to my bro standing at the bottom. <laughs> so I think this shows that all throughout history, people have been kind of stupid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've been doing stupid things with balls. Yes. Yes, that's uh, that's unbelievable. According to this website, it would feel like the baseballs would feel like 
200 to 300 pound objects based on the force that they would pick up from that drop. Like if they were caught, they would feel like yes. a 200. Jeez. Yes. So apparently this Billy fella, he wanted to catch a ball dropped from a plane first. And somebody said, you know what? That's not a good idea. Let's just stick with the Washington monument. So I wonder if that was when they weren't using gloves either. Someone had to catch that with a, like a lamb skin over their hand too. Oh God. Didn't have, like I, I don't know how good catcher's mitts were back in the day, but I think they were a little <laughs> more developed than, than no sheep A2K skin. to help you there. No, no, <laughs> no batting glove underneath. Yeah, right. None of that. I, he, heck, he probably didn't wear a catcher's mask. <laughs> it's probably going to look like the guy who caught the John Carlos Stanton home run at the home run derby and broke his hand completely, just had swelling oh. right after. That's exactly what happened right there. Yeah. And mind you, this is midseason, too. This isn't some like offseason stunt. This is like, hey, we got a game tonight, but let's go sightsee and catch some balls dropped from the top of the Washington Monument. <laughs> and just the logistics of that, it's, it's so mind boggling. Baseball players are just different. Yes. I, I think one Rivets player, Jace Workentin, uh, left-handed pitcher from Western Illinois, he put it best. He said, baseball players don't do anything just in the middle. It's very extreme. Anything they do is extreme. And I think this is a great example of that. You run into someone and you know that's a baseball guy. That's exactly. just something about baseball players. Yeah. 100%. It's, uh, they are different they're cut from a different cloth, built different, as the kids might say. But, oh, man, got to love that. Last but not least, series to watch for this upcoming week. Lucas, how about you go first? Yeah, the series I got to watch um, coming up this next week is going to be the Braves and the Dodgers. A couple of playoff teams, potentially. Um, and depending on how this next week goes, uh, that could be a really big um series for both teams individually if the Braves are still kind of fighting for that NL East and the Dodgers are making it closer in this next week uh, against the Giants then that could be two first place first place teams going against each other um you know trying to either keep that I mean you could see division leads go back and forth just as that series goes out uh, you know, the Giants are playing the Brewers this upcoming week or the series right before that. So if something big happens there where the Giants lose, uh, you know, two or three, or I'm not sure how many games that is, but they lose that series. Uh, and the Dodgers come into Atlanta playing hot. You could see a change of tides there just from that one series. Uh, and on the contrary, if, you know, Atlanta's not playing too hot, uh, maybe that division lead gets a little slimmer, a little smaller. They're going to have to win these games against the Dodgers, to, you know, uh, keep that lead. On a similar note, my series to watch is the Giants at the Braves. So the weekend before that Dodgers and Braves series, that's going to be an interesting one to watch because whereas the Braves go to California to play the Dodgers, San Francisco goes to Atlanta to play the Braves. So that's a great opportunity for Atlanta to take some games from one of the best teams in baseball all season long. And like you mentioned, these could be high stakes games. If the Braves take two or three and the Dodgers stay hot, all of a sudden you could have something like the Giants ahead a half game on the Dodgers as the Braves go to Los Angeles to play them. So a lot of high stakes baseball coming down the stretch in the West Coast. So I'll be watching a lot of it thanks to my free MLB TV subscription. Yeah, shout out Bradley University there. But yeah, that's a great point. 
um, maybe some better baseball too. I didn't realize that, that the one series I talked about was in LA. So maybe just some better overall, more competitive games with uh, San Fran coming to Atlanta. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Similar vibes, you know, see what a couple of playoff teams can do against each other, see how they're uh, lining up against each other. And maybe you can compare uh, maybe a bit of a stretch, but maybe you can see how each team, you know, San Fran and, and the Dodgers kind of stacked up against Atlanta, see what they were uh, looking like against a good team and the same good team. Maybe it'll be a little easier to compare those two after you see them play the same team back to back, but yeah, sure. some good baseball either way. So, I mean, can't complain with either of the series. Uh, I know I'll be watching both. Yeah, I'll probably be watching those rather than the uh, Cubs and White Sox series, which is also this weekend. People forget. Yeah, I think if I don't go out to one of the games, then I can see myself just kind of skipping over um, unless, you know, something crazy happens. But maybe it'll be a good day to go get drunk and uh, <laughs> see some weekend baseball. That would probably be a little bit more fun for the White Sox fans yeah. in attendance on the south side rather than the Cubs fans. Let me tell you, if I was a Cubs fan going to the rate this weekend, I would say drink responsibly, my friends. Don't get too sloshed because otherwise it could be a long day for you. I don't I don't think any Cubs fans want to end up in those bleacher fight videos that yeah. are now a weekly feature at White Sox games. Yeah, seriously. Half the time it's White Sox on White Sox crime, but <laughs> definitely with the Cubs coming, uh, that could get ugly. Also, don't want just you don't want to be a sad drunk. No. If you're gonna go watch a bad baseball game, maybe it's best not to be not to be drunk while you do that. You know, I if I went to a Cubs White Sox game, I think I would start a chant that everybody could get behind. Justin Fields. Yeah, there you go. Justin Fields. That'd yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah, seriously. When you when you walk out of the tunnel um, from Soldier Field after Bears games, no matter who the Bears play, Packers suck. <laughs> Classic. It's like we can all agree on one thing, and right now it's Justin Fields is the face of Chicago. Even though he hasn't played a single game, that's yeah, that'll get that'll get the crowd going no matter what. Absolutely, I don't think he's picked a side yet between the Cubs and Sox. Which he's picked both, yeah, like kind of good some move. Stuff. Yeah, it's a good man. move. Pro right. choice, right there. Yeah, <laughs> already making good decisions. We love to see it. Move. Yeah, <laughs> still not QB one though, but hey, that's up to the Pinewood perspective. Yeah, Nagy must not. Nag- Nagy must not be a baseball fan. No, probably not. oh man does that do it lucas larry it's always fun talking to you it's always always a pleasure always fun Uh, i think that wraps up episode four gets better and better every week hope you guys enjoyed listening uh we got a lot of action to talk about next week i'm sure we kind of previewed it here i'm excited to see what uh kind of the results of those series are got some good baseball to talk about with the white Sox. see how they end up these these next few series uh, see with the Cubs and Sox along the weekend. We got some some crosstown baseball to talk about next week. I'm looking forward to it. And heck, maybe we'll have a guest for once. I, I know people are probably sick of our voices. We got to get a third one in the mix. We love you guys, though. Of course. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed episode four of the Hit by Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run.